Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 500, the 500, J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new, hundreds more to go, and in need of a friend, the king of peace for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end, talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. Peace of my heart, I mean, this is iconic, transcends music. It's by Big Brother and the Holding Company from their 1968 record, Cheap Thrills. It's also number 338 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. I am Josh Adam Myers, and you are listening to the 500. Sup, y'all? I got some shows coming up. Come on. This weekend, December 16th through the 19th, I will be at the St. Louis Funny Bone in St. Louis, Missouri. Get tickets. I'm doing uh, six shows headlining. Uh, December 20th, I will be at the Comedy Cellar doing the goddamn Comedy Jam with an incredible lineup. Uh, Get tickets at thecomedycellar.com or you can stream it from your home at mintcomedy.com. And December 30th through January 2nd, I will be at the... Vancouver House of Comedy in Canada. I'm going to Canada a lot right now. I've been to Texas a lot. I've been to Canada a lot. I want to see everybody in Vancouver out there. Bring me some weed. Let's hang out. Um, And January 3rd is the anniversary of my car accident. It'll be 10 years. And I um, don't know if I'm going to do something special. I'm going to try to do a big thing for it. Um, I was going to do something to celebrate Angelo on that day. And I was like, nah, it's too morbid. I want to do an Angelo Palooza. I think we're going to do it on around his birthday in February. Uh, but yeah, man, get tickets to my shows. JoshAdamMyers.com and follow me on social media, everybody. Josh Adam Myers on all social media. 
Sometimes I record the intros a little bit earlier, and I did for this. Uh, so I want to interject real quick to thank everybody that came out uh, to the comic strip in Edmonton, Canada. The staff there, incredible. The management, Dino, you rule. I just want to thank everybody uh, that came out. I want to thank my opener, Noah Bradour. You killed it. Uh, and uh, Kean uh, Beatty, my host. We had this one woman heckler on the Saturday night show, second show. And I was like, I'm not going up there until we get rid of this table. And, and he went up there and he fucking, when they started talking again, he broke, started cussing him out. It was my favorite thing ever. Uh, you guys killed it this weekend. Uh, I literally just got back. I've been traveling all day. Uh, but I want to give a huge shout out to Rich Winans, you are true fleece army. You came up to me and I ran into you randomly after my in between the first and second show on, I think, Friday. And dude, it's running into people like you that makes me want to keep doing this podcast. Uh, everybody give him a follow. Rich Winans, R-I-C-H-W-Y-N-A-N-D-S. He's old. He's out of control. He's exactly what we love. This weekend, coming up, guys, I'll be at the St. Charles, St. Louis Funny Bone. Brand new, Thursday through Sunday. If you are in the Fleece Army, I want you to come out. Come out. Funny Bone, St. Louis. Let's make a memory, guys. Join the Patreon. We need your money. Submit five bucks a more a month. We'll read your comments on the podcast. Go to our YouTube, blah, 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 blah. All right. Elaine Boozler is my guest. This was a really fun conversation because Janis Joplin, I mean, changed her life, changed the direction of her life. And uh, and I could see why. I could see how Elaine's career and Janis Joplin's are very similar. An incredible trailblazer comedian. Um, I mean, Comedy Central voted her one of the 100 best stand-up comics of all time. Rolling Stone Magazine uh, she put her in the 50 best stand-up comics of all time. She's got incredible specials. And, and also on top of that, her, her activism, Tales of Joy Animal Rescue, celebrating 20 years uh, of helping animals in need. And you can visit Tales of Joy at talesofjoy.net to donate. And 100% of the money goes towards animal rescue. This was fun. Thank you, Elaine, for joining me on this journey. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on all platforms. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. Send him love because I don't think he's doing well. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Uh, well, not left to say, but here we go with 338 out of 500 with cheap thrills. My big brother and the holding company. Before we even get started, I just gotta say, like, I, you know, seeing you, uh, you know, in the 80s, like, I mean, you can keep this in the podcast because it's really like, you're you're one of the the pioneers of where stand-up comedy has gone. I led Lewis and Clark across the Northwest Passage. You really did. I mean, like seeing like, you know, it's like I can still pinpoint, you know, the moment that I wanted to be a comic at six years old that. watching. I was well, I was with my dad. My dad was really into stand-up, and I'm six years old and comic relief is on. 
which I mean, oh my God, you're so young. I know I'm a baby. I'm a baby. I'm a I'm a baby with 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 gray hair and indigestion. That's well, that's, anyone can have indigestion, and I see black hair. So you're you're a baby. Oh, it is colored, girl. It is. I am. My beard is full gray. I look like is a wizard drug dealer. Is it worry? <laughs> It's it's the Jewish in me. Yeah, that's oh. what it is. I went gray prematurely. I think I was like 22 when I went gray. Oh my goodness. Not so fully. You're kind of, of the curve as well. Yes, yes. But um, but yes, yeah, just like knowing and 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 being able to sit down with you and talk to you about this record, it was just it's such a it's such a thrill because you know comedy and music is so goes hand in hand. And it, and I really think like you I've seen Billy Joel uh at like Madison Square Garden and the dude has jokes. Like it's incredible the set that this dude has in between songs. And then you go see him another night and you're like, oh, this is his shtick. This is what he does. But finish so, your old story about you were with your dad, oh, you were six years old. So I'm so I'm six years old. And my dad's watching Comic Relief. And I remember how much of a big deal Comic Relief was. Because I remember I actually asked a comedian uh recently. I said, I said, like, because I'm putting on a benefit for my friend Angelo, who's the reason we're doing this podcast. My, my buddy Angelo passed away 10 years ago. He made oh, fun sorry. of me not knowing music. It's okay because a lot of good came from it. And that that being said, I remember I was like, I was like, did you did the comics get paid for for comic relief? He goes, no, it was like it just launched your career. Like it was so big. And so I could tell how big it was, even at six years old, seeing someone like George Carlin go up and do my stuff is stuff, your stuff is shit. And I was like, my seeing my dad laugh, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And and then being able to see you and your contemporaries Sorry at the time. That. No. <laughs> Down the wrong pipe and a little crack. Sorry. <laughs> I can tell you're smoking crack too. All right, right on. Well, you know, I just mix it in there. But, you know, it didn't, well, if it was going to launch your career, you weren't on it because they went for big names. So. Yeah, yeah. And as in all comedy uh, favors, everyone gets paid but the comedians. Everyone Always. got paid for comic relief. Guys had offices getting a million dollars a year to put us together for free. The yeah. cameraman got paid. The director got paid. The producer got paid. Everybody got paid but the comics. And that's what it always is. I always laugh. The world gets paid, but we never do. And yet, if we didn't come, there wouldn't be a thing. There's nothing. nothing. There is nothing. So, you know, it took I think that years to get on comic relief. They just said no. And I was selling out everywhere. Yeah. It's the same, it was the same sexism then, even on that, I didn't, wasn't on for the first few years. You know, I'm on my hands and knees begging again. And that was yeah. that, there's my career in a nutshell. You know, <laughs> can I come in here? No, that's it, you know, okay, thanks. I'll do three shows on Friday, three uh, shows Friday night. Yeah. Now, now All we- All different, so you uh, yeah. sell another beer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so, but this is, I think that is actually a good starting off point. Cause I, from what I've read about Janice, but she, she had to deal with in the industry, everything. So before we even get started, started, do you have anything you want to promote? Just please take this time just to like, you know, you go ahead, anything you have going on, you want to talk about? Well, it's the 20th anniversary of my animal rescue organization, Tales of Joy, which oh. is talesofjoy.net, 20 years of saving lives across the whole country. We work mostly online and we're the fundraisers for the tiny, teeny, weeny little rescues across the country that do 
all the hands-on work, but don't have the infrastructure to raise a lot of money to keep going. So we're there for emergencies. Um, You know, they run out of food. We send six months worth of food. For COVID, we send food to individuals across the country, thousands of pounds of food, cats, dogs, bunnies, everything. Just people finding us online saying, if you know, if you need help, contact us. We're still sending food out because people still need help. But we, you know, if you're washer breaks and you know you have to you, you know people don't realize how much laundry is involved in this. i know i know but if you have a kennel, you know you're doing a thousand pounds a day and they're out of food we send it a dog gets run over we send the money you know as, as much as we have we send out and we do rescues across the country and now we're helping um dogs in lebanon that come here with the lebanon to canada believe it or not and a bunch of other uh countries so you know, we just keep saving lives. We're kind of, we rescue the rescuers. You know, if you're going to fall through the cracks, just email us and yeah. try and keep you going until you get That's back. That's cool. Home. I where, like how your where, dog showed up in the background just as you were promoting this. <laughs> it's like right on where, the cue. Where can where can everybody go uh, if they want to help uh, with the organization? Well, talesofjoy.net, T-A-I-L-S of joy.net. And the good thing is <clears throat> even after 20 years, we're still 100% volunteer. There's no salaries, no perks, no expenses. I underwrite. So every penny, every dollar that you give us or spend goes 100% to rescue. And uh, we have great stuff in the holiday shop right now. You can buy yes. amazing stuff and 100% to rescue. So, you know, the big, big, big juggernauts, the fundraising juggernauts in America, they spend million dollar salaries and mm-hmm. travel and, you know, and then they send you crap from China for a year if you give them five bucks. You know, that I don't know where their money goes, but every dollar uh, that comes into us goes to save a life, so. That's great. But also I wanna, I wanna amend something you just said. Uh, not everything's crap from China because I found an NBA, actually professional sports jersey website that makes bootleg jerseys for like thirty dollars. I've I've spent hundreds in the last week. Once I I just bought Ray Bans, Yeezys. Did you donate money to a rescue for that? No, this is just you were just saying crap from China. I I donate all the time. I'm just Society of the United States. I'll send you five thousand crappy keychains. Yeah, save an animal. That's what I'm saying. Oh no, not everything's crap from China. Of course, stuff we sell isn't crap from China either. I'm just saying this money we don't have lists we don't sell your name we don't keep your name i mean i'm the worst i should but we don't and you know our stuff is great and you can send it back if you don't like it we'll give you everything back it is you heard it you heard it you heard it here everybody (laughs) never had a crap if you get if you get crap send it back no crap there's There's, no crap in tails there's no no i love that and (laughs) as a a dog owner well you know because i know we have to get to janice joplin but i i mean if you have any recommendations of of like, is I'm, this is my first uh, winter with my dog here in New York. Oh, uh, wow. It's a lot of work to have a dog in New York. I Well, here's what's good. And here's what's good. At one dog owner to another is that when I got Lekka, when she was, I got her when she was 10 weeks, I immediately hired a dog trainer. I wanted to impress people with, because basically your dog and your dog's temperament is an extension Absolutely. of you. Yeah. So, so if your dog's crazy and yeah. unmanageable, you're crazy and unmanageable. Yeah. <laughs> so I My was like, is- <laughs> right? Yeah. If you meet like a dog, it's like blah. You're like, all right, let's. That's my not dog. Da- yeah. Oh, that's your <laughs> dog. <laughs> my dog is a Buddhist. Where is she? Well, do we see her? Do you guys see her in the cut? 
back there. Nice. Just chilling with that oh, ball. Oh wow, you had Happy a good trainer. Yeah. Oh no, she's incredible. But I, we need to get like dog booties. We need to get a dog sweater for her. like. I'm actually quite excited about it because it's like I've never Leck has never been fashion forward, and now <laughs> we get to go through that. Yeah, um, New York's so cold. Well. Good for you. It's fun to have a dog in the winter there. You know, you'll know all the dogs' names in your neighborhood and none of the people's names. I already like that. It's already. Yeah. Lekka is the most popular dog on East 22nd and 1st Street. Uh, I just gave everybody my location. If you want to come find me. There I am. Uh, Come after. (laughs) Try to. Try something, Fleece Army. Try something. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny streaming everywhere now all right let's get to this record um i love that you're doing this i love i love love and i love that this is the one i get to do as well so she was everything to me when i was growing up janice joplin everything to me uh i'm serious i was raised by the taliban in brooklyn and the fact that i'm not kidding every negative you think of with the taliban was what i went through and that's all i'm going to say about it to see her be alive and everything she embodied for someone like me who was hoping i'd live long enough to get the hell out of there Mm -hmm. she was a total hope for me. She was everything. She literally raised me. She showed me everything I could be and do and think and that it was right and I wasn't crazy. So I was so in love with her. So how, in love how, with- how old were you when you first heard Janis Joplin? You know, well, let's see. Um, Big Brother and the Holding Company. I guess Cheap Thrills came out in what, 68? Uh, Jer, what do you got? You got the details? I've got, yeah, 1968, released yep. August 1968. Gotta be so, faster, Jeff. Adam's fast. <laughs> so, yeah, so then I was 16 then. So everyone's doing the math now. I'm 140 now. Wow, and, you look fantastic um, for 140. I, thank you. It's, uh, it's you have, you must have Isabella Rossellini disease where it's just like you'll never age because you look oh, phenomenal. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I'm getting <laughs> up there, but. But I guess I was 16 and, and that was just about the right time to, to think I'm either gonna go under here and die or I'm gonna get out of here and live. And I literally, because my birthday's in the summer um, and because I, no one in, in high school, I mean, they knew I was never gonna pass anything. They had in those days, two diplomas in Brooklyn, a general or an academic in high school. Academic meant you went to high school. A general yeah. diploma meant we've seen you twice, we need the chair, get out. 
So they gave me a general diploma and my birthday's in the summer. So I was out of high school at 16 years old. Wow. I know. And I had nowhere to go and I wasn't educated. And I thought, well, I'll go be a waitress in New York. And my father said, uh, I'm going to get you into a college somewhere. And then when you're 18, you could drop dead. So there he was making plans for my future. (laughs) So supportive. (laughs) He's like, like, okay. Great, thanks. Now I know. Anyway, they were just building the University of South Florida, so they would take anyone. You didn't need credits or anything. Out there for a while, uh, which was fun. You know, I just dropped acid a hundred times and listened to music and turned nice. eighteen and went to New York. But I went to see Janis Joplin when I was seventeen there at I think it was the Hillsborough community or huge, uh, you know, concert venue. And we had seats, my boyfriend at the time, we had seats like next to the last row, way up in the, you know, in the, in the dark. Yeah. uh, B.B. King was opening for her. Wow. Yeah. Sitting there like loving B.B. King, waiting for Janice. And I look to my left and she's standing. We had the end seats. It was me, my boyfriend, Janice. Janice was standing up next to him, just quietly dancing a little bit to B.B. King. And even at 17 years old, I knew not to bother people. I mean, I didn't know anything about anything, but I just knew she was going on and I didn't want to bother her. But my boyfriend said, can I have your autograph? And she said, sure. And he took out a matchbook and she signed the cover and she made two hearts with the J's, it was the most beautiful autograph I've still ever seen. Janice Joplin, two hearts and gave it to him. And that's how you know you're not going to marry someone when he doesn't give you the Janice Joplin autograph. Oh, what a dick. Wouldn't have a smart guy. So that was my first time, you know. Um, No, it was my second time seeing her, sorry. But the first time I, I mean, she was right there and I, I knew I could have asked her after him, you know, can I have your art? But I just wouldn't bother her. So, you know, who knew that I knew that much about show business then? The first time I saw her, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, what what is she wearing? Like, is she, I mean, you it's like, because my dad, I, I've told this story a million times. My dad met Miles Davis and it was like, he said, I, when he asked him if he's Miles Davis. He said, no, but, but I mean, he knew it was Miles. He had the big glasses, a boa on. They're in an elevator at the Four Seasons. So, I mean, was she dressed like the well, legend that is Janis Joplin? Yeah, because she was about to go on stage as soon as uh, B.B. King yeah. was playing. So she was ready. She was just warming up. And Boa, Boa was uh, the thing at the time. She always had a Boa pinned to her hair. Not really on stage, but when she was on Dick Cavett a lot, I used to see her and she had that great Boa pinned to her hair. And she always wore big sleeves that, you know, moved when she moved and usually a... a um, a fringed vest, fringed suede vest, and then bell bottoms and those little gorgeous slip-in pointy shoes that, you know, she, it was so delicate and beautiful. And then this soul emerged. And, you know, when you think of the blues, I think she might be the only person who screamed the blues, which seems so contradictory. But when you think about the blues, why isn't everybody screaming the blues? If you really have the blues and you've been so done over so badly so many times, you should be screaming your brains out with the blues, he was the one who did, you know? The first time I saw her, um, I think I was probably 14 or 15 in Brooklyn. Yeah, I had one nice outfit and it was this very kind of tight little velvet skirt 
and this very um, satiny blouse. And I was so excited to see her. I think we had second row right off center. Another you know, guy in the neighborhood, nice guy took me. And um, so I ironed my little clothes and put on my tight little clothes and pulled my hair back tight and put on all this makeup. I, I was literally felt like I was honoring her. You know, I wanted to be as- Yeah, I get it. Ready for her as I, I felt like I was honoring her to look as good as I, and then a couple of weeks later, and this is the most valuable lesson I ever got for being in the state on stage in the future. A couple of weeks later, I read this interview with her and she said, man, I'm so sick of these girls showing up to my show and their tight little outfits with their hair all pinned down and they're sitting there like little ladies judging me. And I went, no, no, we love you. We, we wear, wear that to honor you, to, to show up ready to see you. And what it made me understand as someone who later went on stage for, for decades is you don't know what's going on out there. Don't yeah. judge anybody. You have no idea what they're thinking you know, whether they love you or just do your stuff. You know, I wished I could have said to her, no, no, we come like that because we love you. And yeah. she read it, you know, she read it wrong. So was every girl at that time that was like, because like, I'm kind of like imagining uh, Janis Joplin had not as globally the effect that Madonna did, but it was like Madonna comes out, every girl is wearing the desperately seeking Susan outfit. You know what I mean? Like the well, like- television is the universal, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. that's the thing, you know, what my husband obviously has been in rock and roll a long time. So I, I hosted the, uh, the Constitution Hall Gala for uh, Clinton's first inauguration. And oh, wow. it was a four hour show and it was just awesome at Constitution Hall and, you know, Crosby and Nash and Melissa Etheridge and I mean, just great people, right? Yeah. Um, so, and, and Crosby, Stills and Nash. I mean, how many platinum albums and how many decades were walking through the crowds to the inauguration? And I had been on, you know, every talk show a thousand times by then. And Graham Nash is behind me and everyone is screaming, Elaine, Elaine, not a word to Graham. And Bill said to me, my husband said, I now understand the power of television. This guy is the legend of life and they're yelling your name because television and, you know, Janice, if we had had MTV then, you know, Janice would have, of course, but it was a different time. You didn't have global access to people like that. So then what, so then what was it that, that made you go see her at 14? I mean, obviously you know, the, the music is, you know, is of course, like it's on the radio. I mean, how, how popular? Cause I don't, I don't know. Like Janice to me, all I know about Janice Joplin other than this record and some of the hits is just that she's this legend that has this powerful, powerful voice. And she died in this tragic way, way too early. But, but what she did during that time and her being such an individual is made her this legend where there's murals of her and people go to her grave and she's as like the Jim Morrison effect almost. So, yeah, so well, you know, she was the only poster I had up in my bedroom. I literally had that poster of her with that microphone and that look and, you know, that she just was it. And um, I, like I said, it was a very buttoned down period for even women who were rebelling still were very careful about their eyes yeah. and you know their lashes there nobody came out and went roar roar and they still don't for the most part now i don't there's never been another her with that amount of soul and commitment to music nobody i mean there's great female singers and writers and great but nobody comes out and just goes this is it 
This is what you get. Yeah. This is as free as I'm going to be. And you have to take this. I mean, that piece of my heart, you know, piece of my heart at the end when she, you know, come on, take another little bit of my heart. Okay. When she stops and you know that scream's going to come at the end. Yeah. That's it. That's the scream. That's what we all heard at that age at 14 years old. You know, that was it and just went, fuck the Taliban, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, I got out of Brooklyn and went. So so basically what you're saying is because you're growing up in this very strict household where it, like it's just, yeah, and 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 then you see this person that is just, I mean, free and just, she doesn't care. Like, it's not about the looks, it's just about her talent and it's just about her just enjoying that moment of, of, of making this music. I mean, I, I could only imagine what that was probably like, especially what what's out at the time. Like, like what is out at the time? What well, is you know, I mean, it was Woodstock, and there were great, smart female singer songwriters there. You know, I loved Judy Collins at the time. Even the Fifth Dimension, all the Motown women were. You know, and Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. She screamed a bit, but you know, it was still well produced. Yeah. And Janice was just free. And, you know, I'm sure she cared about how she looked. I mean, she wanted to be an attractive girl, too, and she was. But the point was, once you get your lipstick on and you do the best, I mean, I wish this was higher, but, you know, <laughs> once once you get where you're, you know, this is the best I can do, now I'm going to be me. And, yeah. and that's what she was. I'm sure she wanted to be considered pretty, and I thought she was gorgeous because of the raw sensuality that came out of her. So, yeah, but... It didn't hold her back, you know? Even with singers, they go, make the sound pretty, make it sound pretty. And she just went, I'm gonna make it sound alive, you know? Wow, like, yeah. My life. What? And watching her, oh my God. Uh, what, like when you hear her voice, like what does that do to you? How do you feel when you, when you heard that scream? I mean, was it just like, anything's possible? Oh my God, what am I doing here? It's like, you have those like life-changing moments with certain records, certain songs, movies, they can just go, oh, it's like, I have to, whatever that guy just did, I have to do in my life. Like, was it, was it just totally liberating? Yes. I mean, that's perfect. A perfect description of all of it. Um, that's what it was. You would, you know, like I said, I was listening, I guess Jefferson Airplane was around then too, and Grace yeah. had a lot to say and a lot of strength. Uh, but like I said, everything kind of sounded, you know, like it was supposed to, just the way it was supposed to sound. And, you know, I guess Joni Mitchell, I, I got into her a little later. And I mean, she's like the well-behaved Janice in the sense of, she says, the, you know, she's the best writer ever. She's just amazing. But Janice was just raw. She was completely raw and still, you know, this gorgeous woman who just went, yes, I'm a woman and we also sound and look and do this. And no one else was brave enough to say, I'm gonna, you know, open up these lungs and let you know the agony in yeah. here that yeah. we are put through in this society. And I'm telling you that, you know, that was, wah! I mean, it's like someone reached down your throat and just grabbed everything and pulled it up and you had to just go follow your self into the world. I never well, heard anything like that. And I think it's, you know, you, this is, you know, rock and roll has always been a very male dominated, like, you know, yeah, like, like art. <laughs> like For sure, we've got a leg up. Yes, that's that's true. You're not wrong. But there's something, especially in 1968, 
when you know it's it's like we're coming out of the 50s the 60s you know it's like we haven't i don't know if yeah. or whatever started but it's like but in your in in your view though was was she a pioneer for women entering like a traditionally male dominated space well sure of course she was she absolutely was and you know i don't even know if she looked at it that way she just you know sang her truth and that was it but you know we had woodstock how many women can you name that performed at woodstock I'm trying to think. I don't even was any you know were there. Do you know? Jared, look it up. Find out. Find out some of the the female performers that were at Woodstock. I mean, I'm assuming Jefferson Airplane. Airplane. Um, fuck. I don't know why I want to say Martha and the Vandells. I don't know why. I don't that's like they were at the Vandellas were at Woodstock though. Really? A rock and roll than a soul. No, um, I, there was soul. There was soul at, at Woodstock. There was a little bit of soul. It was soul and rock and roll, I guess. Women of Woodstock, who do we have? Yeah, I mean, well, you have like- Sly uh, Family Stone. I don't know if this counts with Robbie Shankar. I mean, no. it counts, but you know. Well, yeah, like I said, I just don't think it was a huge, you know- Joan like, Baez, did you already say that? Who? Joan, Joan Baez. Baez. And you know, she was known as a protest singer, um, which was great, you know, it's great to be saying everything you need to say. I'm just saying for raw, reach down and grab you and, and make you think that anything's possible, that was Janis Joplin. And, you know, coming into the 60s, which was a complete protest era and, you know, um, shooting students in Ohio State and, you know, the whole, I mean, that was Marvin Gaye's what's going on era. Yeah. They were, you know, even blood, sweat and tears. I mean, they were so, Doobie Brothers. There was so much great stuff and so much was protest and, you know, speaking desperate truth to power and wanting to shake off, you know, the, the really constricting chains of what society was at that time. And, you know, come into this flower power, free love, you know, it took a lot. And, and it, you know, women, for them to scream it out, most of them, you know, had flowers in their hair and were doing their thing. But Janice was just, you know, I will not be denied. And maybe it means so much to me personally because I entered a completely male field. Thank you. Yeah. I'm about to ask. What, you know, it's what's interesting. And it's the same thing I believe that happened to Janice. The other practitioners of the field, the men, the men comedians, the male musicians, yeah. loved us. The male comics loved me. The audience loved me. It was the people in power that didn't. You know, the day I stepped on stage and, and did my first thing as a comedian, the audience was like, wow, wow. I never had trouble with the audience ever. It was the, you know, the old men in power who don't want the changing of the guard. They yeah. have their views of women and they want that to stay that way. So they can have their trophy wives and their hookers on the side or their mistresses or whatever. And then here are these young, attractive women saying, you know, I don't only have these, but I can think, you know, and yeah. they go, what, what? The, the blood's going in too many directions. So I'm sure Janice, I mean, from, you know, I'm 14 years old. I want to, you know, wash her car for her. And I'm, you know, the audience was just, oh my God, Tanya. And, but I'm sure the guys in power in the music business were just what? You know, and it's it, the, the audience is always ahead of the curve. It's always ahead of the business. Yeah. You know, I mean, by the time things get to television or whatever, the, the public's known it for a year or two. And that's the way it goes. And I entered that same 
field that hadn't been plowed by a young woman yet. You know, I was 20 when I started stand up. So, you know, and how old was she? She died at 27. So she was probably around, you know, 20 something, you know, very young. And um, it takes a lot to keep going. And I think every soundtrack of her really expressed everything she went through and I went through and people after me went through and people before us went through in other fields, female doctors, you know, female people in government. I mean, it's always a fight. And unfortunately, it just hasn't even ended. No, it it hasn't, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, well, all you can do is what you do and do it the best. And then that's what you leave behind. You know, I left this behind it was the best I could do. I hope uh, it helped. <laughs> yeah. <I> hope helped. <laughs> what was what was uh, what was Janice's first big song? Was it Piece of My Heart? Was that the one that kind of like blew her up? That kind of for me, I thought Piece of My Heart was it. I mean, I, I wonder what the first the single release from Cheap Thrills was. Was it um, combination of the two? Let me or take a look. No, it's Piece of My Heart. It's yeah. Piece of My Heart. That's released in August 68. Yeah. What's let me ask you a question. What what would be like your piece of my heart what was your big breakthrough moment i'm still waiting <laughs> anyway um so my breakthrough thing i i guess i guess i'd have to say the first uh, stand-up special party of one because for two years i couldn't get a special and all the guys were on their second specials already at Showtime and HBO, and there hadn't been a woman who had a comedy stand-up special. Lily Tomlin had an hour, but she's not a stand-up. She's a gift from God in her own category. Yeah. So it wasn't stand-up and I'm thinking this. You know, she does character. She wasn't a threat to the powers that be. So no woman had had a stand-up special. Um, and I would go meet up with them constantly and say, look, I've been doing this for 12 years. The jokes can't get any better. Each one is just a jewel on a piece of black velvet in a store here. You know, let me do this. I sell out everywhere. And they, no one wants to see a woman do an hour. That's what they would say. And I, I would say, I do two and a half hours in my show. No opener. Two and a half hours. And here's my reviews in all these little cities. And they go, this is the longest and best show we've ever had. You know, stop it. I, you don't have to like me. You'll make money. I mean, it's just good business. I, you know, it's, you don't have to like me. No, 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 no. So I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And that was going to be it for me because I was just repeating the same circuit of clubs year after year after year, no upward movement, no money, no, you know, it's like, what am I going to go back to Dallas, Texas? And, you know, it's like, again, you know what, there's no growth. It's embarrassing. You can't get anywhere. Um, Yeah. And then I met a guy and he was a great filmmaker. And he said, how much money do you have? I said, 25 cents. And he said, we'll do a special. And we did New York. He, you know, he knew everyone in New York and he had just finished a couple of movies. And he said to them, do you want to uh, get a very little bit of money to do this special or do you want your full fee when it's sold? And everyone in New York said, Elaine Boozler, it'll sell, we'll take our fee, you know, we'll wait. And of course, I always said to him, it's personal. They don't like me. And he said, you're crazy. And after we did it, he said, you have to get stars on here because they're not buying you. Let's get stars and do an opening piece. And really that hadn't been done yet. So I got Bill Cosby, pardon the expression, was the first week his show went to number one. He was on the cover of Time Magazine. He said, yes, Uh, David Letterman had just become number one, you know, in his slot. He had done nothing outside of his show. He said, yes, Dr. Ruth Westheimer was huge at that moment. I got like the best people. And my good friend, Tom Waits gave me his music, New Coat of Paint. I mean, you couldn't have a better opening. And 
the show was fantastic, right? Yeah. I, we did it. We did it. You know, they said, no, we're not interested. And I said, how can you turn this down? It's like the best show ever. And HBO said, well, you know, we have something called the Cinemax comedy experiment. We'll buy it from you and we'll cut it down to a half an hour and call it an experiment. I said, I think you can go fuck yourself. And uh, didn't sell it and, you know, was flat broke. And my boyfriend said, well, you're right. It was personal. I, I'm sorry. I was wrong. What do you want to do now? And I said, I want to pay everybody. I'm going to go back on the road for one more year, pay everybody who did this for us. And then I'm done. I'm out of here. Let's get the hell out of here. He said, yeah, I'll teach film in San Francisco or something. So that was the plan. And there's a great saying, you know, that's been around forever. And it's if someone in TV doesn't like you, wait five minutes because they turn over constantly. They don't, they're not yeah. artists. They don't do anything. Yeah. You know? They're just cogs, but we're the artists. So um, a few months went by and I was working, saving up the money to pay everyone. And my boyfriend called and he said, hey, I just had lunch with so-and-so. There's new guys up at Showtime. I'm gonna take the show up there. Well, newer, young, hip guys came up to Showtime and they went, oh my God. Oh my God. And immediately gave me a deal for three more shows. Wow. I know. Yeah. For the highest money that Showtime had ever paid. And that was the break. But I had to do it myself, which is fine. mine. But Always. it was really a kick in the teeth. And of course, HBO, who would turn me down for years and said, we'll call you an experiment after 12 years on the road. Um, so the show airs and the New York Times writes this amazing review that it's just what I would have written. And it was so simple. It said, where has this been? A woman who's simply a human being standing on the stage, not flaying herself for our amusement. In other words, it's not, I'm not the one who's dying up there to make you laugh at me, you know, being, yeah. you know, I'm talking. And, and one of my great jokes was I'm just a human being trapped in a woman's body. So hmm. they pretty much said that in the review, like this is so refreshing and uh, revolutionary in its simplicity. And of course, a month later, HBO introduced Women of the Night, four female comics every Friday night, splitting an hour. That's how many female comics there were, so many, but they still had to name it after hooking, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, we can't quite let you in, so. so it <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. That yeah. is, you, you have to bet in yourself. You have to bet on oh, yourself. You, that's... You, have to be, you know what? No one's going to give you anything. And that's fine. Just find a way to do it. You know, I don't, I mean, I really believe in the never complain, never explain thing. You, yeah. you can sit here and cry, oh, it's so hard. No, it's not. You're not digging ditches. You're not standing at gen, you know, General Motors for 15 hours a day, putting a, a lug nut on a wheel and wishing for death. You know, no one told you show business was going to be easy. And you know, it, it is easy in the sense of what people have to do to feed their families. You chose this. It's going to slap you in the face. And, and that's that's your price. You know, that's it. You don't get to complain. Oh, they don't like women. Too bad. You know, be so good that, that they can't deny you. Be so good. You know, Jack, they waited for Jackie Robinson. They waited for the guy that they couldn't say no to. They yeah. waited for the guy who was the black Ted Williams. They waited for the guy that you couldn't say, well, you know, he, he's no good. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know his stats? Yeah, he's good. And at this point, you have to take him because he's the best. And that's what you have to be. And you don't get to complain. He, 
you know, people who make their breakthroughs like Jackie Robinson, like people who get to do that, they just keep going. You just keep going forward. Complaining is the worst thing you can do. You know, nobody likes a whiner. And of course, it's going to be, you know, as hard as it's going to be. So what? You know, do your thing. I think if Janice hadn't had that success, if she had sung like that and been trashed down to nothing, I don't know how we would have moved forward. The fact that I could look around me and see people looking at her. Do you remember that wonderful cutaway in the Monterey Jazz Festival movie when Janice was singing and they cut away to Mama Cass Elliot and it was just a silent Mama Cass going. I mean, yeah, well, that's the thing about you're talking about about you. It's like watching you in your prime, just like, especially having done it for 12 years and you get to do your hour. I mean, it's, yeah, you're at 12 years is like when we all I think it's like, dude, I don't think I really even started really finding my voice voice exactly. until around year 10. And so now you're like dialed in and then you go up there and you record and you're like, you're like, I mean, this is this is you at the top of your game. That's Janice at like, because I, I wish I, I we had in front of us like I had her biography of like how much struggles that she went through because I couldn't imagine, you know, you have a voice like that and you can sing like that. You haven't had a perfect life. Have you ever had that moment? Like Mama Cass, is there any any performer you've ever seen either in comedy or music that you just had like, you were just blown away? Oh God, yeah, of course. Always Andy Kaufman and always Lily Tomlin. Always, you know, and and I'm the best audience you could have. I just so appreciate the effort, you know? I'm a good laugher. I just love anyone who bothers to find out what he or she or they think. You know, whatever you're thinking, if you're going to express that and it's original, I'm yours. I don't care if it's a different kind of pie in the face. You know, I just like people who are finding what they're good at. You know, what's inside of them. I I don't judge at all. I'm probably the easiest laugh in the whole world, even though I love writing smart stuff. But yeah, yeah, you know, Lily Tomlin. And again, it's fascinating as words versus music, which is kind of what your podcast is about in some ways. I went to see Lily Tomlin on Broadway and she had done, it was uh, a sign, uh, searching for signs of intelligent life in the universe. One of the best shows ever written and one of the best shows ever performed. It was so beyond, I don't know how many, you know, applause stops that show had, but like a zillion and then a, a forever standing ovation at the end. And no one could have done more as a spoken word performer. No one could have gotten more out of an audience than that moment, you know, that night. And then I ran down to the bottom line in New York because they had Dolly Dolly Parton, which was a first for them. And I run in and she's just starting and she sings one song and the roof comes off and it left the Broadway show like in silence, it was so big. And I went, oh, no matter how great you are as a talker, when that music reaches down into people's loins. Different, yeah tribal it's you know visceral you know nothing would have sounded like that after lily and lily couldn't have done any better and you realize you're up against the music you know that's it's always going to reach down and grab people i i people come up to me all the time 
you know, in the supermarket. And my mother and I still do that bit, you know, and they remember jokes from 40 years ago, which is the nicest part of my life right now, you know, like, oh, we yeah. still say, you know, oh, there's one more eminent, whatever, um, which is so great. It's like my light, light my fire, you know, they remember that stuff, but nothing is like when that song comes on, yeah. that you've, you know, first made out to, and, you know, it makes you cry or laugh or nothing is as strong as music. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Just, now you're I, I couldn't agree with you more. I just I was thinking as you were saying that I was like, God, even like the the like the Lenny Bruce's, the George Carlin's, yeah, prior. You know, the Lily, Lily Pryor. I mean, there's there's like I mean, there's I mean, yes, are there murals and they're like, you know, are they legends? Of course. But like, you know, you know with your but, physical being, you're yes, but 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 and I say Jim Morrison earlier, I'll just bring it up because I'm from living in L.A. There are so many murals of just like Jim Morrison all around Los Angeles in different cities, because whatever he did, like you said, touched people well, he, so deeply. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's well, never it's comics physical. will never. Yeah. We'll, we'll never be able to match that. No, you can't. The spoken word's never going to match that. You know, Lawrence Olivier is never going to be Jim Morrison as good as he was. You yeah. know, a different thing. Jim and Janice, to me, were like completely on a par. He was the male version of her. He was totally unbridled. He was totally visceral. It came right up from the groin and grabbed you. You know, I, I just see them, you know, as the perfect pair of of everything that was blossoming at that moment in history. And as I said, my husband, you know, has been in rock and roll forever and he, he managed the door. So we go to see Janice's movie uh, a couple of years ago. We went to a screening of the movie where her sister Laura reads her letters and there's a lot of footage and it's a nice film. And, uh, and then Bill, he, you know, he just, he, he's so matter of fact, he said, oh man, I remember when Janice uh, broke a bottle of wild turkey over Jim's head at, at a party in, uh, I think it was Bel Air Canyon. I said, I've been with you for 20 years. This is the first I'm hearing about this. He goes, oh, I forgot. You know, it's like, I forget that. a million of these stories. And he just, you know, once in a while, he'll think of something, but I'd like to know more. 
Yeah, I mean that's like that's like a first date story. That's something I was at this party, Jim Morrison. He's, I know it just shows how again. he is that none of that stuff comes up. You know, <laughs> I mean, I have to like pull things out. If it, well, what happened when? Oh yeah, well yeah, you know, like the Miami thing. He didn't expose himself. Bill, you know, swears that Jim Morrison did not expose himself. He was framed, right? Yeah, yeah. and Bill's there watching. You know, we have the arrest. Or I mean. You know, it's ridiculous. Bill was there for all of it. He was the manager. So, you know, um, you get the truth from him. But I really think that, you know, when he just sees Jim as this sweet boy, you know, that's what he saw. He really, he really was a poet. You know, we have his books of poetry. We have his notebooks that he wrote in. He was this sweet, but then this need came up, this need to throw off the shackles of what the 50s were in America and what the Vietnam War was doing to all these young people in both countries yeah. and, you know, and old people in Vietnam. I mean, sure. every, a change was needed and you're not going to get it by you know, being polite and soft-spoken and, and making pretty notes come out. You need to scream your guts out you know, you, and in a way that people will listen. I mean, you know, what, what's the joke uh, in comedy? You know, be funny if you want to send a message, you know, use Western Union, which of course nobody knows what that is anymore, but you know, use email. But, but the truth is you can get a message out. You just have to be funny first. It's always yeah. funny first. And, and my favorite jokes are when people are driving home and they go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That Trojan horse, she snuck in here and I get it. You know, yeah, 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 well, yeah. Music is they're not going to listen to someone sing about, you know, I'm a woman and I want respect. If someone's just going to talk, you know, if I stand on a stage, you should respect me. I'm but if Janice is singing, you know, you know, take another piece of my heart, you're not going to get it. You know, if she's singing that and they're tapping their feet and then they go home and go, wait a minute, she wasn't saying I could abuse her, she was saying she's going to kill me. You know, you have to. <laughs> You have to put it in the best. You gotta finesse. Yeah, you gotta finesse it in, in your way. And and that's what I always felt I was, you know, lipstick and dressing up pretty, and you know, I didn't scare anybody. And uh, you know, it's like, wow, she, you know, I wanted to be the first young dressed up for a date, sexually attractive young woman. Yeah. And people respond to that, and then I go, but you know, I could kill you when you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, God, this is so much fun. All right, here, let's let's find let's find out because we keep talking about Janice. I want to give I want to give a shout out to the the other members of Big Brother and the Holding Company. So just so everybody knows, uh, if you don't know, because a lot of people probably didn't know that she was in this separate band prior to just her going solo. So Big Brother and the Holding Company was formed. It's 65 in San Francisco. It's founded by guitarists. Uh, I don't know fuck all these names up. Peter Albin and Sam Andrew. Uh, Sam Andrew I had. Albin I was worried about. Uh, the group later grew to include other guitarists, James Gurley, drummer Dave Getz, and their soulful lead singer, of course, Janis Joplin. Uh, they moved to the Bay Area. Uh, and they get into the San Francisco scene where there's uh, they cut their teeth with like Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane. Uh, the band's first album was made because they needed money after a residency at a Chicago club. The band discovered that they had no money to get home. Uh, we've all been there. They quickly signed a deal with Chicago-based label that focused on their low-key acoustic material rather than their bread and butter. The band later appeared at the Monterey Pop Music Festival. Oh, yeah, dude, that must... I feel like the Monterey Pop Festival blew up so many people. Like, Otis Redding had that performance there. God. 
God, the festivals suck now, man. <laughs> like, well, you don't have to- that. We don't get to see, you know, people really being made in one night or a one nobody's, nobody's getting made at Coachella. No. You know what I mean? Nobody's been watching the bands at Coachella. They're in the VIP lounge taking Instagram photos. <laughs> by the way, by the way, if anybody wants to book me for Coachella, I'm available in April. So you know what else uh, I found in common with Janice is I'm a that? major comics freak. I mean, you know, comics for cartoons in the newspaper and I mean major, major comics freak. Half of my friends are are cartoonists. Really? And, yeah. Please tell me you know Gary Larson. I don't know. Ah, all right, podcast that. over. If I could meet one one cartoonist that I don't know yet, it would be Gary. Gary, he's the I man. I can tell you all my far side favorites forever and ever. And of course, the one that became part of the American lexicon was the Blah Blah Ginger. Do you know yeah, that one? I don't, but I feel like I've heard it. It's so much a part of the lexicon that they did it in Gilmore Girls and they didn't even explain it. You know, the mother just went, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, ginger. And I went, oh my God, everybody knows it. (laughs) So great. But here's the link with Janice. She loved underground comics, as do I. And R. Crumb did the cover art. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, so. You know, it was supposed to be on the back and she loved it so much. She made it the front cover of the album. Yeah, I have, I just have, yeah, R. Crumb did it. I mean, it's so, you so, know, and I think it's kind of what this this record is. It's because what I know about R. Crumb, which isn't a lot, excuse uh, me, but. Another great personality. Yeah, but it's like, these were like underground comics. They pushed the, they pushed the limit. And it's kind of like this record too. Even the way it was like recorded, hearing everything that you hear, the noises, the, the fact that they're putting out a live record for their second album to really showcase what they're about. I, I mean, it wasn't live though. One of the albums they actually mixed in crowd sound and it was a studio album, which everyone thought was live. Was that? Hold um, on, let, let me hear. I have a little, I have a little doodad about cheap thrills. So let's read this. Hold on. Uh, so this is the second album released August 68, one year after the release of their self-titled debut. This was their last album with Janice as their lead singer before beginning her solo career. Yeah. When she leaves the band, I mean, it's over. Like you can't, replace well Diana you know I mean what are you gonna do exactly it's like it's like that's she's the band she's why we're here uh initially the album was to be called sex dope and cheap thrills right and of course the men in power said no yep Columbia bunch of losers uh the (laughs) the album producer John Simon uh incorporated crowd recordings to give the impression oh okay I was wrong. So you were right. Exactly what you said. John Simon incorporated crowd recordings to give the impression that this was a live album, but the only track actually recorded from a concept was the album closer, Ball and Chain. Ball and Chain, right. Ball and Chain was the live, the song done live, and the rest was mixed in, which what a great job of mixing because- I thought it was a live record. I, yeah. I wow, I, I feel I know, awesome, yeah, right? This is, why I'm, this, is, I'm, this is why I'm doing the podcast so I can find out this stuff. You all get to learn stuff. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. Now I like it even more. I know, it was great. That's so great. Yeah, there's the album cover. Yeah. Jeremiah just pulled that up. So, Ball and Chain was recorded at the Winterland Ballroom, despite the album saying the live material was recorded at Billy Graham's Fillmore Auditorium. Initially, the band recorded two concerts in Detroit for this album that Simon and manager Albert Grossman weren't satisfied. The live album idea was scrapped. It was difficult for the band to adapt their raw sound and work habits with the realities of a professional studio, and progress had gotten to the point where the band questioned if they had the right producer because he came from a different musical style. Wow. 
understand the band's psychedelic guitar bass sound. Nonetheless, the album was completed. It reached number one on the charts for eight consecutive, eight non-consecutive weeks in 68. This went on to be one of the most successful albums of the year and has gone platinum twice in the United States. Uh, and there was like, it says there's eight songs on this, but we only, there's only, even though the album was released, there's only seven songs. Oh, wait, the other eight songs, which were not included, were released on subsequent albums. Mm -hmm. And something that I find to be very cool about this, the album was uh, deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Condis, Congress and, and Condis. And thus, it was preserved into the National Registry uh, of Recording in 2012. And the album was named... 163rd best album in the 60s by Pitchfork. There you go. Well, there you go. She's certainly for the shortest life in the world. I don't know why they all died at 27. You know, Jim and Kurt Cobain and Janice. Uh, I weird, guess Hendrix, right? he was 27 as well. Um, you know, well, Bill, was, Bill was taking the doors somewhere, I guess to England. And, you know, and, and one of the producers said, if you've got any, anything on you, give it to me now because you're not going to get through. And Hendrix comes up to Bill and goes, you got any stuff? And Bill goes, Jimmy, there's customs. We're going through customs in one minute. And then he was like dead like a week or two later. Oh, my God. I don't know what it is. You know what? You know what? What I think it is. And, and you know, being that so many artists and Jeremiah, well, I'm saying is pull up. I'll pull up the, the 27 list. I want to find out everybody that passed away at 27. A lot of greats. A a lot lot of greats. I, I think it's, imagine this, just Elaine, imagine, do you, if you remember, it's like, I remember how I felt when in my early 20s where you feel almost invincible. That was my party time. That was when I went out and I was going to nightclubs and you're finally meeting girls and, and sex is involved. And, and, you know, you really don't, you don't have a credit card yet. And you're just, you're not a part of the system. You have a, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you, you never think you're going to die. Like, because the years still are taking time. It's not like they're flying by as we get older. You know, it's like you still, a year feels like a year. And, and so imagine making it around that age, 22, 23, 24. And, and now you have the world at, at your fingertips, everything you want, and you're famous. Uh, I mean, I could only imagine. They just, they, they party because that's, they just feel like it's a part of, of like, oh, I'll never die. Like they just I have- I don't think they know the, the finale. I don't think you know what death is at that point. You know, I mean, like, I don't think you really know the vulnerability of life at that point because you probably had so many near misses anyway. And you just, it seems like such a foreign concept, death. Yeah. When you get older, you start to see a lot more people die that you know and love and it's closer and you feel the vulnerability. I think when you're 27 years old on top of the world, I think what you just said is completely correct. Yeah. That you just feel invulnerable. I mean, Janice, you know, choked in her sleep. So um, I don't even think she was just, in other words, it's not someone who just took an extra shot and then died because they didn't think it was going to affect them. Yeah. You know, she choked in her sleep. So, but. I mean, if, just, let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If if Janis Joplin doesn't die at twenty seven, are are there the murals? Are we still talking about her? Like we we kind of went into we discussion. Are still about, talking about well, her. no, I know, I know, I know. But I'm saying if she doesn't die, let's say she continues making records. You know, she takes different career paths as, as certain people do, where it's like, you know, they're, yeah, they're hot when they're younger. They, it's a couple albums or missteps. They might change genres a little bit. 
you know, do you, or do you think that we still worship her as this rock and roll idol? I if really she doesn't do die at 27? Because, because as the world changes with you, because you are changing it, you know, there's more opportunity. There's there's a deeper uh, exploration of what you have to offer and what you can turn out. And I mean, that talent was undeniable. So, you know, I really do. I mean, look at the women who have lasted that started out then. I mean, Stevie Nicks and, you know, Joan Baez forever and Joni Mitchell until, you know, she lost her voice a few years ago. These people are true artists and they continue. And I, you know, I, I wish there was more of her. I mean, like no one doesn't know uh, Kurt Cobain. You know, no one doesn't know uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. I wish there were more people, you know, kind of educating the next generation to people like Janice and, and Joni Mitchell and people like that. Um, but I certainly don't think she was going away. I mean, she was that, you know, that was the personification of that music. She, you know, she's not going anywhere. It's always romantic to, you know, stay good looking because you're dead, you know, at 27. But, you know, people, I mean, look at Judy Garland even. I mean, people who have that kind of a gift, I just, I just think they have no choice but to keep creating, yeah. you know, as they get older. I yeah. Don't see a choice there. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. I think, I think, you know, I, I haven't performed in a couple of years, but the last performance I did right before COVID, I think it was one of the best shows I ever did. I think when you said you finally started to figure it out 10 years in, I figured it out 45 years in. Wow. Something wow. happened to me a few years ago and I went, oh, oh. Wow. I swear to you. So if you're enjoying it, stay with it because this amazing gift happens to you many years down the line. And I just stood there and I went, I, it's like, I, it's like, you know, they, the Wizard of Oz, when they reach Oz and it goes into Technicolor, that's yeah. kind of what happened. I just went, this is it. This is it. You can't bomb. You're floating on top of it. It's like out of body almost and everything, you know, Andy Kaufman, I mean, we go way back and, you know, he was like the reason I do this. And, you know, he was the love of my life until I met Bill. And anyway, we just had everything forever, many years. But I, you know, he used to go meditate twice a year in Switzerland with Maharishi. And he's the one who turned me on to TM, Transcendental Meditation and all that. And I said, he said, you know, I asked Maharishi the secret of comedy. And uh, he said, I'm not going to tell it to you because you're not ready. And so he waited a few years and then he thought I was ready and he told it to me and I wasn't ready because I didn't get it until a few years ago. But, but Mahari, she said, the secret of comedy is listening to your own silences. And I thought, well, all right. 
anyway, a few years ago, I just got the stillness in the center of what you do on stage. I mean, you could be throwing pies and running around and yelling and fighting with a heckler and having fun. There's a stillness in the center of it that you can hear while you're doing this. And that's the secret, but there's no way to get there until you just get there. And I started to enjoy it so much because it became something other. It was so different for me at that point that I just couldn't get enough. I mean, I started to work endlessly because I loved it so much. And you can't bomb, you can't lose it. You can't, it's just everything, you know, in that space. And it's just great. You know, there's just a beauty to it that, that really was a reward that I thought was amazing. Yeah. I wow. think Venice would have had that if she didn't die. You know, she probably had it already. <laughs> I think, I, I, I think so. I mean, even, you know, the, like the partying is just, that's the scene, you know, on stage, you know, it's the Miles Davis thing. Exactly what you just said. It's, it's not the notes that you're playing. It's the notes that you don't play. You know what I mean? It's, oh, there you it's, go. Yeah, there it's it's go. very, very similar to that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but, and when you watch someone like Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison, and we, as we talked, and Jimi Hendrix, and, you know, they're... I loved Richie yeah. Havens. I mean, he was phenomenal. Yeah. But you know, when they're, and when they're on, just when they're on stage. He's softer, even though he was softer. I mean, you can't write like that. What's going on is the anthem for a generation. You know, there's too many of us dying, you know, too, too many mothers crying. I mean, nothing's changed. When you listen to what's going on, Marvin Gaye's what's going on, you go, this is Black Lives Matter. This is nothing changed. Yeah. And I had jokes that I wrote about Nixon in the 70s. You can apply today. No, I just would change the names for each new generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> change it to Reagan, change it to Bush. You know, and, and that's the sad thing. And my gun jokes, I was still doing them for 48 years. And my abortion jokes for 48 years. Because you realize it doesn't change. It no. doesn't change. All you no. can do is do your part. You know, you're not going to change the government and it's only getting scarier, everything that's going on. But mm -hmm. you just decide that you want to be put out goodness and, you know, be the best person you can. I mean, it really does start with you. If you just do the best you can for everyone around you in the world, it just comes from individuals. It's never going to come from up top. No, it's you're, you know, the world can get crazier, but you just like just have to stay present and just stay like, you know, it, like I said, in the moment. That's that's when you because that's the only way that you don't freak out when you start thinking about the future. It's it's too much. And if you think about the past, you're sad. Bless you. Well, you know that. I mean, when they, you know, when they shot them and you know, I'm sorry, it's so, so easy. It's untight. To, I just feel like we're hanging out, you know, sorry. Bless you. Yeah, needs toilet paper in that. I'm kidding. Yeah, um, I mean, you got, I need four, four cans of black olives. Yeah, we're making a chicken meringue later. Oh, wait, what are we doing again? But like, you know, with the shooting in Ohio, you know, Kent State that, you know, in the 60s, I mean, what are you going to do every every rock person worth their salt just, you know, found a way to incorporate it into their art because you're you're just in agony over it. And that's what promotes, you know, this amazing art that changes things. And, and it does change it on a small level. You spread awareness on your level because you can't reach up there. It just, there's nothing there to grab hold of. They're mm -hmm. so bankrupt and corrupt. There's oh, yeah. Yeah, so you have to do it from down here. Yep, I've got an idea to hear this today. 
Okay, God. let's kill ourselves. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's 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 just you know it's I've been doing TM for years and mm-hmm. and you know like I moved to New York after 14 years of living in Los Angeles and I found where did you grow up? Washington D.C. area, so oh. Maryland. Okay. Uh, and I moved out to LA in 2007 and then started stand up a year later, even though I knew I wanted to do it, but it was, you know, COVID, it really brought me to a place of like, cause I had, I had had success pre COVID. I had a lot of success, but it was, I was never happy and I couldn't enjoy any of it. Stand up. You didn't enjoy this. Well, no, I enjoyed, I enjoyed being on stage. It's just everything else. And you know that it's, it's what it's like being on stage is my favorite thing in the world. It's all the other stuff. I mean, hanging out with a group of comics, like at a comedy club that you're friends with and, and just being able to like the best orgy in the world. Right. It really is. Especially the Carlin line on what you just said, the George Carlin line. He goes, goes, Hey, they pay us for the other 23 hours. Yeah. That's yeah. No, I know. And and some of the best comedy is is at the table at the comedy cellar just just all of us riffing and and it's just the best. But but what what COVID did and and like you said about that moment of like flow, flying above the clouds and kind of just being able to ride and just being in the zone almost. COVID kind of brought that to me where instead of being like it was like, you know, I'm worried, oh, I'm not booking this or this person has that or they're getting that spot and I'm down here. It's, it was just like, no, I'm just going to enjoy the art form now and just, and just be, you know, and just be a comic and all the other stuff will just come together as it comes together because as long as I work hard and I keep being funny, like I'll get everything I want. I still have to create my own doors but that's the way it's always been, and I'm fine with that. And you know, I would—I'm never going to be one of those guys that's just handed stuff. But that's that perfect. Would, I mean, that approach is perfect. You can only control what what's in your control. You can't. Exactly. Well, who cares who's getting what? You know, the great thing about comedy versus actors is when they need an actor for a part, that we need a guy who's five ten with dark brown hair and a British accent. So that's it. That's the guy who's getting the job. Comics comics everybody works you're not in competition with other comedians there it's you know the part that we need everybody at every height with every color hair there's a million jobs for comedians i never felt like i was competing with anyone and you're not so someone gets a show you want so you'll get it next you know they need they just need to keep throwing those bodies on the fire yeah and also i i what i think too which I think, you know, I don't know if this you ever experienced this, but as as you were getting the nose, you know, as like, cause I, it's like, even like when it comes to like the spots I get for the week where it's like, oh, this person got more or whatever. So, you, you know, it's like, I only got, you know, you know, six shows this week at the cellar and this person has like 24, you know, you, I just go, I go, all right. If she wants to tuck me in later in the night, that's fine. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to go for shit that I've, that I've never done before and I'm going to grow and I'm going to utilize this late night spot as, as a real place for me to, 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 to really be myself. And then I, when I fi- find it there, I can then take it to that 1030 spot in, at McDougal and just, and now it's a mixture of the stuff I was doing before, but now this new artist. And so it, it's just, finding our opportunities, finding our moments to shine and, and being happy with the art that we're putting out. I think it's, I think what we do is just so, it's so incredibly beautiful. Well, you know, I think that's a, a really lovely thing to say. I mean, to clear up the Carlin thing, what I meant was not about sitting around. I meant 
they go, well, you make so much money for a show. And he goes, they pay us for the other 23 hours because it's the not having relationships, not having a family, taking uh, yeah. the night, you know, that you can't get food. You have to, you know, go on. They lost your life. He's talking about the life around the show. That's what you get paid for. And that's what yeah. you're saying. Um, as far as, you know, using the slots. Yes, of course you get crazy when people are getting a million time slots and you're not. And that's normal and natural, but then you have to let go of that and, and do exactly what you said you're doing. You know, I mean, I was just lucky enough to be around such great comics and get the greatest advice on earth. Um, Andy always said, you know, first of all, if you don't record your show, it's a waste. And now, of course, there are phones, so it's easy. But in those days, you had your little tape recorder. And he said, you just, you just, it's a waste if you don't record the show. It didn't happen. You have to listen. And, you know, it's the hardest thing to listen to yourself. I just, yeah. And then, you know, Rodney would say he'd come off stage at the Improv in New York in the 70s and everyone would go, oh, God, you're so great. And he would say, listen, if you do good here, it means you have no act. And that's what he meant. If you're playing to the band, if you're playing for the comics in New York or L.A. and, you know, winking at that, you, you can't go out on the road in 50 states and reach people because it's a different life. It's, it's more condensed now, you know, everyone's business has two businesses, their job and show business. So, you know, again, it's, it's more open, but in those, yeah. then you really had to think about who you're talking to. The other thing was, I remember uh, I did a show down in wherever and Gallagher who really, you know, he's a punchline it seems, but he was great. He had 12 showtime specials of such good writing. Yeah. I don't know why props got a bad rep, but his writing was fantastic. And we both went on that night down somewhere. We got paid a little money and I came off and he said, did you do anything new tonight? And I said, no, I did my act. He said for 50 bucks. I said, well, we're getting paid. He goes, if you don't put in one new joke, you have wasted your act. You have wasted your time. There is nothing here for you. Oh, great. So 50 people saw you have a great show and they're going to go home. What did you get out of tonight? You, you have not taken one step closer to where you want to be. You have to put in a new joke, at least one thing new every night. And then I was reading Woody Allen and he said, you know, when you try out your, your new jokes, you try your new jokes when you are killing on a roll in the middle of an early Saturday night show. Yeah. That's when those jokes go in and then you'll know. And not yeah. stop traffic dead every once in a while with a show. Yeah, dude. What the hell was that? You go, okay, that's not going to come back. But that's <laughs> You know, I, I I can't tell you how much I needed to have this podcast today. It's really it is, you really are. Get, it's just great. It's because this is all stuff that I know, but it's like you just need to hear it sometimes. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's, it's a, you, know, you have to do the right thing for yourself. And that's yeah. what stuff is break it and try a joke a different way. I've had jokes that I loved so much I knew could even be better. And I was so afraid to lose the laugh on it that I didn't, you know, upgrade it. But you have to, you have to do it. And another thing, I mean, I'm like doing the comedy uh, lesson here, which you are. Oh my heard. dude, people love this. They love this shit. They Jan, it's all, and Janice, we'll get to you. Okay, Janice, just chill out. Janice is the reason I'm here and alive. Exactly. Janice is part of this. Janice yeah. is the only reason that I knew I could get out of there. I'm telling yeah. you, I my two heroes, Janice Joplin and Laura Nero, but Janice was the reason I could get out. Laura Nero, just, I love the art. 
I didn't know if I could, you know, she didn't get me out. Janice got me out. I went, I'm that. And we had the same hair and now we're going to let it be. Now I don't, I, you know, yeah. straighten it because, <laughs> ah, I, I kowtow to the man. <laughs> I love the curls. The curls rule. Those are the real, that's the real hair. This is yeah, what yeah. money straightening it. Ah, <laughs> everybody wants the opposite. But um, so here's the other thing I learned, which I'm sure, you know, doing this for as long as you are, but when a joke doesn't work and you really believe in it, Woody says, you never change a punchline. It's always the setup. It's the setup. And it is. He's right. And you know, the exercise I used to give myself to prove that it's the setup and not the punchline, I would take the newspaper or a magazine and I'd close my eyes and I'd land on a sentence. I go, okay, that sentence is your punchline. Make it funny. And I would just kind of walk around all day thinking about what could I set this up as to make, and car insurance went up 10% this year. You know, how do I make that? And that's what I would do. So when I had jokes that didn't work that I loved and believed in, I had one joke that not only didn't it work for five years, but I never stopped trying it. And, and then it became one of the biggest jokes in my act and one of the most stolen jokes in history because it became such a great joke. And it was the six locks on the door joke. Didn't work for five years. And then it became like the biggest joke in the act. I just wouldn't give up on it. Good God. I love that. Yeah. There's so many, there's, there's this one, it's so, it's so stupid, but it's like, cause I talk about music in my act for a little bit and I just talk about how white people shouldn't do reggae music. And then that's, that's like, and I go with this whole blanket thing about how I hate, you know, these, these reggae bands I talk about all the time here on the podcast, 311, Sublime, Jeremiah loves them. I, I do. They're terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> all the friends we grew up listening, loved those bands and I just hate them. And I've been working on it, working and it's like, it's like sometimes it, I feel like it's getting close and then I try it that way again. And it's like, ah, it just, it's, but, but I love that. Cause I don't want to give up on it. Cause I, and I've had other comics say to me, they go, once you figure this bit out, right. it's going to crush. Like you just have to figure out. And I, and it, yeah, it's, it's definitely. And you know, you can't fix it at home. You have to figure I it know, out. I know. And you got to fail. And that's the tough part. That's I the know. tough part about this profession. Yeah. Um, but you got to pick. Sorry. No, but I was going to say, you just got to pick the right places to fail at, though. You, you know just, what I mean? It's You're not yeah. like, all right, sold out crowd. Like, <laughs> all the industry's watching. This is the night. No, I, I always had a saver for it, you know? I mean, when it really, because I would stick it in the middle, because then you're going to get the reading, you know? And sometimes it's still a great joke, but you just don't have the timing on it or something. For you sure. know, or the right setup. But I would just say, I mean, literally, I have stopped a screaming crowd cold. And I would just look at them and go, well, that was unanimous. <laughs> 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 and then they'd laugh and then we'd go back to the show. That's, well, that's, what, I, that's what I think as, as you grow as a comedian, is because when you first start and you say a joke and it doesn't work, you don't have the confidence. You don't have the confidence just confidence. to be present and identify, yeah, that it didn't work. You well, just keep going with your act, and then you've already lost the crowd because they're like, yeah. oh. But that's the thing is that like now it's like I don't ever really bomb anymore. That's not saying like oh I'm the greatest. I just have those little savers to be right. like, all right, well, you know, you I know it. it's funny. Um, I mean, I've certainly had shows where, you know, they just didn't rise to, you know, falling yeah. in love with me, but I knew the show was good. I would, and, and sometimes I've had shows where I just wasn't that good, but they were way too good for what I was that night. Yeah. I feel so much better 
you know, being bad, being good and having them not love it than being bad and having them love it. I want them to see the best, you know? And like I said, it's not bombing anymore because when you get to a level, I mean, I, I remember going, I mean, I love baseball. So I go to all this. Please. Oh, love it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I candlestick. So this is a while ago and Barry Bonds was up and, you know, I guess he went over for that night. I didn't say Barry Bonds bombed. I said, oh my God, I got to see Barry Bonds play live. And that's the difference when you're this accomplished, you know, okay, they saw me, I went 0 for 4, but they saw me, you yeah. know, I, I could have gone 4 for 4, I went 0 for 4, but I took gorgeous swings, you know, and maybe I had some assists or whatever, but they got to see Barry Bonds play. And that's the difference at this stage, you know, yeah. they have no idea you weren't your best because you know how to do this. Yeah, no, it's, I, I always say like, I, I, the reason I like going up late night is because I learn more from oh. a, from from an old not older but like a tired audience or like you know they've been drinking or whatever they're not it's not like it's you don't always want that sweet spot where you're they're just setting you up to kill because every then you'll never comic, learn. Every great comic has said to me, "You learn so much more from a bad show than you do from yes." A at oh, this point, you know, I don't need it, but <laughs> <laughs> you're like, ah, I've had enough. So much more. I remember the agony of the early days of what? What happened? You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. You, you have a great show. What'd you learn? Nothing. You had a good time, but you you don't. I mean, you know how you go to the museum and see how many layers of paint are on those oil paintings. Mm -hmm. That's not because they liked the tree and they wanted to make it bigger. You know, there's a dog under that tree. They fucked up. <laughs> you, yeah. know? you have to keep slathering that stuff on there until you get something. Yeah. Everything is, you know, work, work, work. Everything is rework, rework. There's just no, I don't think anyone ever, I don't think anyone great ever just painted a painting and said, oh, my painting. Uh, you know, I actually Bob Ross. Yeah. Bob Ross. Yeah, I think Bob Ross nailed it the first time. Right. Every, I mean, there was a goddamn 30 year TV show about it. Nice. You know, but, you know. <laughs> R.I.P. Bob Ross. We love you here. We love you wherever you are. I said they put that documentary out with him being like like it was kind of like a not negative, but a little darker side of him. And I, oh, I started nice. it and then I was like, ah, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, I, I know. You know, the guy who does Family Circus is like a junkie. Is he really? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> you got me. Ah, uh, all right. Here, let's let's let's. I gotta. I have to get to. I have to go to uh, Stress Factory in like an hour, so I have to go oh, shower. Go, go, go. Walk my, go. Well, hold on. We gotta. We gotta finish this. I gotta. I, I, Elaine. I. I. Man, I can't thank you enough. So and, fun. I, I can thank you. I love that someone loves Janice, and she was part of the whole conversation because I would not be here if she hadn't been there. No, I and I get that, man. I, I I get like the idea of what that must have been like, and and it's like, dude, if you I mean, who knows? If if Janice never exists, you might still be in Brooklyn, living under the Taliban, and not have graced the stage so many times and done so many incredible things, and and or you know, I still have you on the podcast. I mean, like, we got to get that Taliban girl. I, I would have been she just, an honor killing. Yeah, she she'd be like, hey, we got to get her out of the Taliban house. Let's you know yeah. for an hour to do the podcast. All right, <laughs> I, I ask everybody these questions. Questions. Um, so uh, I'm not changing them for everybody. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm always gonna ask them. Okay. Uh, so first question: favorite song on the record? Oh, I'd have to say "Peace of My Heart." Yeah. 
I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, the scream at the end was what got me out of that, out of Brooklyn. Just the scream. I love it. I love it. I, I, you know what, being that I had heard that one before, the one that I hadn't heard, uh, you know, really in, it was summertime and I, I just love it. I also you love, I just, I just love Gershwin, you know, Porgy and Bess. I love all that stuff. It's, you know. But it's like you would hear someone say, oh, she did Summertime. You go, oh, we need another recording of Summertime. Great. I know, but but that's. And go, oh my God, that's the best Summertime I have ever heard in my life. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. And I mean, that's why it's perfect. Be the one. She's, you know, she's not that light lyrical operetta. And she took it and made it so you couldn't sweat to that song in the snow. That's yeah. how good summertime is. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love it. All right. Uh, least favorite song on this record, or I always like to paraphrase because sometimes you get like an album like this where everything's pretty dope. Uh, what song do you skip over? I don't skip over anything. Nothing? There's nothing. No. No, uh, no. Okay. Uh, I kind of started, I kind of started uh, skipping over Oh Sweet Mary a little bit just to really? get the ball and chain. Yeah, it's not bad. Like I was saying, it's not bad, but there's sometimes there's songs that you're just like, I love this, I love this, I love this. All right, this one's good, but I want to get to, I want to get to this one. All right, now this question, Elaine, I ask everybody. Start ball and chain in the middle, just because I, you know, you wait for the build. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, go to the middle of ball and chain when it starts to you know pick up but i don't skip any okay all right now i ask everybody this question and i'm gonna ask you either way i ask everybody what song on this record would you fuck to oh hmm. <laughs> i'm sorry ball and chain <laughs> fuck yeah all right there we go there you go ball and chain it's a good one too that checks out that checks out yeah but a blood uh, that's a different song. <laughs> blowjob, blowjob. Peace of my heart so you can get that scream right at the end if you time it perfectly. That one. And then the scream. If you can time it to that, you've got chops. Dude, you rule. You rule, Lane. I love you. Um, and last question. Uh, uh, why do kids of this new generation, why should they listen to this record? And does it deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list of all time? Of course it deserves it because it's, you know, the music is great. The artist is great. I think people should listen to it to understand the reality of where women came from to even get as much freedom as they have now, uh, to even have as much success as they have now, to see the difference between someone singing ditties about their boyfriends and a woman with, you know, the deepest soul in the world to see how, how, how much you can grow and become as a human being, as a female human being, you have to listen to this woman to know how deep you can go, how high you can go, how far you can go. And I don't think there's any other singer with that blueprint for women. Yeah. Wow. Well said. Uh, I, so after listening to this record, uh, you know, and especially after finding out that this wasn't recorded live, Isn't that this funny? Was, this is, I love that. Uh, I'm going to give this, 4.2 fleeces out of five. What do you give it? Well, what are the fleeces? That's just a thing. I don't know. It's, it's like, it's, it's it's just my, I, cause I, I'll tell this story. I inherited money when I was uh, 18 years old and I never had money. So I blew it very, very quickly. Wow. Uh, I gave, I gave 20,000 to my parents and then I had about 20,000 left. And then one day I went to the mall and I bought 20, not 20,000, I'm sorry, $2,000 worth of fleeces. Or the like to wear or to wear use to wear. Yeah, I was always cold, and they were very popular at the time. Did you ski? No, you I, I was. I was going. 
fleeces? I would go to I would go to nightclubs and raves. They were very I'm, very fleeces. They were popular at the time. That was what the kids were wearing, and oh. I just dude. The other day, I I, I mean, I bought like because I moved out to New York and I'm buying flannels now. I, I probably dropped like twelve hundred dollars on flannels. You wish you had those fleeces now. Ah, not a one. I don't even have one of them. What happened to me? Mom throw them out. Nah, they just you know wear and tear, wear and tear. Just, just you wear them. I don't know. And then eventually, within like a year and a half or two years, the fleece boom of nineteen ninety eight was over. Boom. And and now now nobody's wearing fleeces. Now everybody's wearing denim. And so that's gonna be my new go to. <laughs> 1998, don't you? I'll tell you right now, Elaine, you say that, you say that in the audience is going to be a guy like, yep. That's yep, it. I remember the fleece boom. Fleece boom. 1998. He's 19- going to be the guy who sold you all those fleeces. He retired right after that. <laughs> it was his boom. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is, this is one Jewish kid keeps coming in. He's kid drops $700 on fleeces. The best thing about fleeces is if you get schmaltz on him, that's it. <laughs> that's so, why. That was why I had to get rid of him. Recalling. It's been an hour, so I thought we'd come back to the beginning. I love it. I love it. Uh, Elaine, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for taking time oh, out to speak with me. I can't you. thank you enough. My pleasure to get up in the middle of the night. I really appreciate it. And- my, my pleasure. Any, uh, promote again uh, the foundation just so everybody can get it again. T-A-I-L-S, talesofjoy.net. Check us out and uh, uh, we save a lot of lives every day. 20 years we've been at it. Oh, I love it. Thank you, darling. Thank you so much. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Elaine Boozler. Follow her on all social media at Elaine Boozler. Go to her website, ElaineBoozler.com for all things Elaine. And don't forget, Tales of Joy Animal Rescue, 20 years they're celebrating. Visit TalesOfJoy.net to donate because 100% of the money goes towards animal rescue. For listeners, shout out this week, I'm giving more love to Notorious RGA. On the Twitter, he came to my show's uh, with Big J Okerson in New Jersey this weekend. I got to meet him. I love him. Roger. God damn, man. He gets it. Nah, just keep listening, Roger. You, I, I can't tell you, man. Like, it's just what you said and what you continue doing for this podcast and the messages, man. It means a lot. So, everybody follow Notorious RGA on the Twitter. Now, uh, for new music, we've got Nashville based blues and RB singer Sarah Potenza. Uh, she's very influenced by Janis Joplin and you're listening to her song I Work For Me off her new album Road To Rome and you can find the links on her website the500podcast.com and if you want your song played on our podcast send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line next week oh fuck yeah it's Pan Flute Jethro Tull we're doing Aqualung do your homework They told me I was nothing They told me I was trash They told me I was too young To ever make it last You gotta earn a living How are you gonna pay? But I blew it all off and I did it in a way I don't need your job, I got my own Rolling out GCB, I got everything as I work for me. I work for me. 
You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like the shadows. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.